Mike Cosper and Christianity Today have recently wrapped up one of the most popular Christian podcasts in history, chronicling Mark Driscoll and the story of his former church, Mars Hill. This tale is quite the cautionary one, raising a lot of concerns that churches, leaders, and every Christian should think about before they are faced with them in their own lives. This week and next, we're talking about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, not specifically the podcast, but the lessons that the podcast taught, as well as taking a look at several other churches and Christian organizations struggling with similar issues lately. Are you ready? It's time to wake up. It's a new day. Yes, it is. Wakey, wakey. Time to get up. Good morning, citizens. Up and at them. Rise and shine. This is your wake up call, people. Come on, the coffee's on. We're going to get you guys circulating on Christian radio. I understand young people. I know what's hip. I know what's on. I know what's lit. I know what's fleet. What's up, my I'm a nerd, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. Rise and shine, nerds. You're tuned in to the Back Row Morning Show, proudly a part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. I'm Radio Matt, the station manager and a nerd culture missionary here at LTN. I'm a third-generation radio dude and a lifelong nerd. And I'm Mo, the chief cohort and crazy, here to bring the facts and fire to your day. Now, where's the coffee? The Back Row Morning Show is a Monday through Thursday show on LTN Radio that covers a wide range of topics from all across church and pop culture, and we usually take the topic in fours, four segments focusing on different aspects of our weekly discussion. You're listening to a compilation of the main topic segments from this past week's morning shows. This week, we're taking a look at the issues raised by the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Before we jump into our discussions, Bo and I also have a side venture called Backrow Games, home of several Christian tabletop games, including our two most popular, Judge Not and Sunday School Answers. Sunday School Answers is the original Christian knockoff of Cards Against Humanity. All the awkward fun without the need to bathe in bleach afterwards to get all the sin off. We've got some big updates for you. Last month, we released the White Box, our largest expansion yet, with 266 new cards to add to your original game. And this month we've released three new booster packs the music pack the cool youth pastor pack and the your dumb ideas pack which is a small pack of black blank cards <laughs> for you to write your own card ideas <clears throat> with inside jokes from your friends and family <laughs> Uh, this month we have released, uh, so sorry, that was last month and I didn't change your script. That was last month that we released it this month because we're now in April. Mm-hmm. We have released our TV booster pack and our Y2K booster pack. Uh, both of those are out now. Also this month we're teaming up once again with Love Thy Nerd uh, and their community, or, you know, our community, to create a new supersized expansion deck, the Gamer Deck, and you can be a part of it. Submit your white answer card ideas, and if they are picked to be in the pack, your name will be on the card forever. To submit your ideas, you can visit lovethynerd.com slash SSA form. You can check it all out and get your copy of Sunday School Answers at backrowgames.com. Sorry. This has just caused all kinds of snotty problems. That was your taste test, so I I don't even feel bad. (laughs) We hadn't we hadn't hurt ourselves in a while. Just needed to do it. That's fair. 
keep the entertaining. Last week we spent five minutes just eating Kit Kats and gummy bears. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who has a problem? Uh, well, you're, you're right there. This week we're talking about Mark Driscoll and the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And many of you have likely heard this Christianity Today podcast. You may have even listened to the whole saga, since even though it wrapped up several weeks ago, it's still holding steady in the top five Christian podcasts. To clear some things up off the bat, we're not trying to replicate what the rise and fall of Mars Hill created. Instead, we want to look at the themes and issues brought up by this podcast and focus on the issues a little more broadly. So the first issue we want to talk about is pastoral inexperience. Now, Mark Driscoll was given his calling to start a church and very quickly did so, starting Mars Hill out of his own home at just 25 years of age, having had no real pastoral experience and having only been a believer for six years. In fact, even before this, he started Bible studies where he openly said, ask the questions and I'll get back to you next week because I'm going to need to go look it up. Not only did he start Mars Hill at 25, he started speaking at conferences just two years later all of which gave him an air of credibility despite his lack of experience. So the first question is, is there such a thing as too young to become a lead pastor or start a church? What are your initial thoughts? Um, <clears throat> is there such a thing as too young to become a lead pastor? It depends on what you are implying as too young. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't necessarily believe that too young in biological age is the issue, but too young in, you know, your walk with the Lord. Yeah. That is a definite, <sighs> definite issue. And I think that that is one of the main issues that we see with Mark Driscoll in all of right. Mars Hill's issues. There are so. f- there are a few people that I've known who you know aren't children anyway that have come to the faith and then have been able to work out all their faith to where they're able to teach others in less than ten years or you know or more. Yeah, like I myself was in no position to be leading or teaching anybody until. A solid 15 years into my walk with Christ. Yeah. Because it took that long for that walk to actually be applied to my own life and to start working some crap out. Yeah. And I think that might be, at least in Mark Driscoll's situation, one of the things that we see didn't really spend enough time working the crap out before Uh (laughs) before he started leading. For sure. But um, I don't think that 25 is too young to start a church or to be a lead pastor. Um. I think it is exactly that question of uh, w- the the better question is how young are you in the faith? Like how, how much have you grown in the faith? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you sat down and gained experience and wisdom from pastors that are older than you and that mm-hmm. have been doing this for a while? Have you learned from the elders, learned from leaders? Have you studied enough? He did go to seminary, but a lot of people go to seminary. Most of the people that we know that have come out of seminary have said, seminary is probably the place that ruins most people Absolutely. when it comes to their faith. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not always the be all end all. Right. With pastoral experience. <clears throat> it um, does give you some good tools for sure. Yeah. And 
overall being a pastor, it gives you good, good tools on how to shepherd a flock. However, yeah. it definitely is not <laughs> the end all be all. So uh, the, the situation we kind of, this, this very situation we kind of saw play out within our church, uh, we were both going to Highland when our buddy Kevin was brought in as pastor. And this was his first like pastoral role. He'd been a youth pastor prior to this. Uh-huh. This was his first pastoral role. How old was he when he, I mean, it wasn't far beyond 25. Oh my gosh. How many years has he been gone? <laughs> a while now. I can tell you six exactly how old seven? he was. If you, you help me get six, there. Six, seven or eight, somewhere around there. No, it hasn't been that long. It hasn't been that long. Um, Johnny's been here for six years. Johnny has not been here for six years. This 2017? Johnny's not been here for seven years. We left in 2018. Yeah, that's about right. If he came in 2017. 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 22. Okay, five years. I'm sorry. Five years. Okay. <laughs> and it was around August that he came. So we're coming up on his five years. It hasn't. Okay. Give me the age. <laughs> okay. So let's see here. So Kevin is currently 40. Is he 40? Uh-huh. Okay. So he was older than I thought then when he came. Yeah. So he but was still in his relatively young. early 30s. Relatively young compared to the rest of the pastors of his church has ever had. He served here <laughs> as pastor for three years, left five years ago. So he would have been like 31, 32 when he got here. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. So I guess then seeing even that with him being in his early thirties, we saw quite a few people kind of have, if not an open defiance of this young of a pastor, at least a internal uh, defiance of it that affected the way they treated the church or attended. Some people even just left Yeah. because they don't want someone who's so inexperienced, quote unquote, yeah. as a pastor. <clears throat> and uh, that was unfair. <laughs> and we had a lot of, uh, we had not a lot, but we had a couple of our elders in this church who we found out much later had been just essentially monitoring him mm-hmm. every single day making sure he's here at his correct hours and doing everything he's supposed to be doing. And, and like, like there's nothing wrong with accountability, but when it's a forced accountability that nobody asks you to do because of your age, specifically because you're young, yeah, that's kind of messed up. Agreed. And so while I don't think 25 is out of the running, I, I do think it's hard for someone that young to start a church and, have it feel like they're accepted as a lead pastor, like without a lot of pushback. And if they are, like if this is a church that they're starting themselves and the only people that are coming are people that know in advance who they're going to see as the lead pastor, at that point, you're not getting any pushback. Right. And so that is just as dangerous. And that's dangerous. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we talked about spiritual age. Is is it is it wiser when you want to be a pastor to start with a like an associate pastor level or even a youth pastor level before you become Absolutely. the pastor? Absolutely. Yeah. One hundred percent. And I grew up in um, more of a culture where you're called into the position, and so 
you don't necessarily, it, it would have been, this would not have been uncommon in the church and the culture that I grew up in for Mark to receive a word from the Lord that he needs to start up a church. And then he just goes and does it, mm. um, without any background. And that's something that I can now look at as an adult and go, yeah, there's some issues there. There are definitely some things that need to be taken a second look at. Yeah. Um, even if you're not given the opportunity to step into an associate pastor position first or a youth pastor position, and you truly believe that the Lord has told you, nope, go church plant and start right away and you're obediently walking that out, okay, that's great. But you also need then even more so to have a huge um, group of accountability. Mm. People who have walked the walk, have done what you're doing, have seen it out, and are going to be able to say, you know, what you're about to do, the step you're about to take is only going to end in disaster. And I think that that's also something that was very much lacking in Mars Hill as far as Mark Driscoll was concerned. Yeah. Now, now in the story, when, when the church first started, it, it was <clears throat> better in that sense, is that there, there were quite a few elders. And as it began, all the elders kind of had the same amount of power. They all talked to each other, and this included Mark. You know, they could vote Mark out. The next day, if they wanted to, and he couldn't say boo about it. That's how it was originally set up. And that implied a level of accountability. accountability. But we would see that as the church grew, that he felt that he couldn't even be accountable to anybody. But we'll mm -hmm. talk more about that in a future episode next week. Uh, but here, I want to talk about, uh, wrap this up by talking about the challenges young pastors do face and how they can uh, prepare for them. So, of course, the first one being the, the challenge of experience. Um, just like you said, there, <clears throat> there needs to be a situation where you practice great wisdom of having an accountability team around you and older, wiser pastors that you can glean knowledge and experience from, as opposed to just going in brash and bullheaded and this is my church and I'm going to start leading you <laughs> with no experience whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, the second one is balance. Uh, young pastors tend to struggle between the balance of church and family, especially because this might be your first church and you want to put all, pour all your soul into it. Uh, we see that in all ministry, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. Uh, I see it with love thy nerd. Like I spend a lot of my day and a lot of my nights doing a lot of love nine earth stuff and I need to, uh, I have to force myself sometimes to like, all right, I got to leave my office. I need to go spend some time with my kids Yeah, <laughs> because it can overtake you because what you're doing is a, is a noble, holy thing, but it crosses that line into, mm, yeah, but now you're neglecting the other noble, holy role that you have mm -hmm. as a father or as a, you know, a mother, anybody in ministry that pours too much of themselves into the ministry and ignores the family. Yeah. I really quick, I'm going to actually throw in something that Kevin said, <clears throat> one of his early, early, early 
uh, talks, because I don't even think that it was a sermon. I think that it was just a conversation that he may have been having on a Wednesday night. And somebody asked him, you know, you have a young family, you have a wife and two young daughters. How how are we going to be able to trust that the church is going to be a priority? And he said, well, the church will always be a priority to me. But know that my family is number one. And I have been advised by someone who I trust, which was his childhood pastor, who told him, never sacrifice your family on the altar of the church. Absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, that's something that has stuck with me all these years. You know, never sacrifice your family on the altar of the church. Yeah. Our current pastor here um, believes that as well. And to the point where he's... He made that clear when he first came with the you know, the leadership and the team that that uh, brought him on, saying, "You know, I've got I've got only so many years left in this life, and I've got a bunch of new grandchildren that I want to spend time with, uh, you know, an hour and a half away." Yeah. And he said, "So I'm going to take some Sunday. I'm going to take some weekends off. I'm not going to be here throughout the year." And I'm going to make sure that we have people in the pulpit. I'm going to make sure that we're covered. I'm going to make sure nothing's neglected. But at the same time, I'm going to spend some time with my family. And luckily, at this point, <laughs> the people that were on the team were like, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we were in a good place for that, uh, finally. And I think that's great. And there there has been time. In fact, he's going to be gone. This will be his first, like, big Sunday to be gone coming up. He's going to be gone on Mother's Day. Oh, okay. And uh, I get to preach uh, a Mother's Day sermon, which I'm not prepared for. Oh. <laughs> I had a wonderful sermon prepared for my next time. And then they're like, yeah, it's going to be Mother's Day. So kind of got to have a l- at least a little bit about mothers <laughs> in the sermon. Yeah. So I'm like, great. Well, I'll start over. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and nobody's upset about it. Like he's openly said he won't be here. No one's upset about it. And I think that's a bit refreshing. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah. That's fine. The church is not going to crumble, and he's not doing anything wrong <laughs> by, by wanting to do this occasionally. Yeah. So uh, I think that's a good mindset to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we got the challenge of patience. To be young is to be impatient. Young pastors really want results and want them now. Uh, young pastors need to be patient with our people, uh, as God has been patient towards us. Our people can be thick-headed and hard-hearted, uh, but so can we. And it says, be faithful in preaching the word uh, week in and week out. You might not see immediate fruit or results, but the spirit is working. Uh, The challenge of respect. Uh, The the challenge young pastors have is to not be despised for their youth. 1 Timothy 4.12. It's uh, a, a really a big challenge, but you're not respected simply because you hold the title pastor. Titles don't earn respect. Character does. So don't feel that you're entitled to respect just because you have the title of pastor. You have to earn it by being a good one. (laughs) Uh, The challenge of humility. Young men tend to be overly self-confident. Humility comes naturally to no human being, but it's especially absent in young men. As a young pastor, you can begin uh, to rely on your own gifting, education, and ideas uh, more than the Spirit of God sometimes. So be teachable and be humble. Mm. Be open to be corrected. Be quick to repent of sin. Humble yourselves and ask for forgiveness of others. <clears throat> and lastly, the challenge of trust. It's easy to begin to doubt and question God's ability. Uh, in fact, uh, quite a few people find themselves sinfully thinking if God will be faithful in your ministry at all, like if, like God is just going to abandon you, or if things aren't going well, that God wasn't there. 
God is a God who can be trusted and should be. You're going to get discouraged in your ministry. Everybody does. You're going to want to quit and throw in the towel. You may doubt God's goodness and power, but trust in him. He is faithful. Even when we may suffer for his sake, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Matthew 5, 12. So this comes from an article from justindeter.com. Uh, the six challenges young pastors face. Uh, I encourage you to go read the whole thing. We just kind of skimmed it. But, and uh, every single one of those, I feel like, hits the nail on the head with the challenges that Mark Driscoll faced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, did not handle most of them well. Correct. <laughs> one topic down, seven mm -hmm. to go. Now, tomorrow, we're going to talk about the curse of celebrity. We'll be back with more. Stick around. I'm Chris Shadowin, and this is Reviews of the Nerds. Today I'm reviewing the graphic novel Tommy's Horse Rex by Doug Tenaple. Or Tenaple, I've heard it both ways. You may not be familiar with that name, but you might know some of his work. Tenaple has created Earthworm Jim, written many graphic novels, made and worked on video games and TV shows. He wrote and produced on the Netflix original Veggie Tales in the House. And if you're a Five Iron Frenzy fan like I am, and he has made cover art for five of their albums. I say all that to let you know that Tenapple is a very creative guy and has a wide range of things that he's made. Tommy's Horse Rex is a graphic novel. It's in the story of a boy named Eli who's kind of hyperactive, and he goes to stay with his grandpa on his farm for the summer. He's struggling with making friends, the loss of a pet, and dealing with a bully. But then his world is turned upside down when he discovers a live Tyrannosaurus Rex that becomes his pet. Now, a small rural community must deal with having a real T-Rex in their town. If you enjoy graphic novels, great artwork, funny stories, and life in general, then this is for you. It's a great read, and if your library is cool like mine, then you can check it out from the library for free. But here's why I love Doug Tenapple's work, especially his graphic novels. He weaves a great story, but there's always a theme of faith in them. At the very beginning of the story, Eli asks his exasperated mom, what do eggs have to do with the Easter story? There's no other mention of Easter in the whole book, but how Tenaple answers this question is very powerful, and actually every time I read it, it gives me goosebumps. Everything I've read by him uh, has the elements of the gospel in it, but he does it in a way that's not preachy. It's more showing and not telling. And this graphic novel alone deals with bullying, turning the other cheek, grief, divorce, yet it's done in such a way as to still have humor and not come across heavy-handed. I read this around Easter every year and still enjoy it every time. Again, it's not an Easter-themed book, so you can read it anytime you want. But please, pick up a copy of Tommy's Horse Rex today. And if you haven't heard of Doug Tenapple before, hopefully this will be the start of a joyous journey through Tenapple Land. I'm Chris Shadowin, and remember, uh, life uh, always finds a way. This is back row. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And every week, these four main segments get spread out across four daily morning shows on LTN Radio. And they include a lot more content, including weird news, random facts, games, challenges, rants, junk food, and more. And you can be a part of all that by following us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash LTN on air. So you'll be notified when we go live. You can even be a part of the show. 
And make sure you catch our full morning shows every Monday through Thursday on LTNOnAir.com at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10. This week, we're talking about Mark Driscoll and the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Many of you have likely heard this uh, Christianity Today podcast. You might have even listened to the whole thing, since even though it wrapped up several weeks ago, it is still holding steady in the top five Christian podcasts. We're not trying to replicate what the rise and fall of Mars Hill created. Instead, we want to look at the themes and issues brought up by this podcast and focus on the issues a little more broadly. Now, yesterday, we talked about pastoral inexperience and being a young pastor. Uh, Today's topic expounds on those issues by adding celebrity to it. So early on in his pastoral role, Mark claimed that he didn't want a large church, that in fact, a large church is just proof you aren't preaching the truth because the truth makes people uncomfortable and it shouldn't be a comfortable place. Ergo, you likely won't have a lot of people there. However, by being among the first to jump into the video iPod trend, Mark increasingly became a celebrity pastor with thousands of followers. And it didn't take long for Mark to slip into that celebrity mindset. On trips, he would stay at crazy expensive resorts while his staff were in flea bag motels. He would sincerely explain to his staff that he was kind of a big deal. He shifted from building the church to building the brand to being the brand. So the question, is it okay to be a celebrity pastor? (laughs) What are your initial thoughts, Mo? Oh, man. So many. Is it okay to be a celebrity pastor? You know what? I kind of think about... Like, I kind of think about Kirk Cameron and Candace Cameron Bure. Okay. Okay, because they're really, like, the two biggest celebrities who we know undoubtedly where they stand in their faith. And they're very open about it. Sure. And for the most part, as far as we can tell, that hasn't caused any real controversy. It hasn't caused any real, I shouldn't say struggle. But as far as we can see from an outside perspective. Sure. You know, um, for them, it hasn't been a bad situation. Right. No, I I think you're absolutely right. I I look at this question similar to, uh, is it okay to be a rich Christian? Right. Like it really all comes down to what you're doing with the, the money or in this case, what you're doing with the celebrity. Right. Now, the two that you just mentioned, Cameron Cameron Spire and Kirk Cameron, often use their celebrity and the platform they've been given to spread the love of Christ. Right. Not expecting anything in return. Right. Um, we don't know how much money they're they're worth. They don't flash it. You know, they're not they're not. You know, when you look at like her, like a. Cameron, Can- Candace Cameron, Cameron Bragg, mm-hmm. her name's so confusing, her Instagram or whatever. It's not just all full of her gaudy things that she's spent thousands of dollars on or anything. Right. It's, it's, it's an uplifting, normal page like you get from most Christian women. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, her age, I mean, it's no, it's nothing that you'd be able to tell. Like if you didn't know who she was and you just scrolled through that, you wouldn't notice anything different. Yeah. Uh, between the way she presents herself and most Christian women who are not of her, you know, her status or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the same time, we have 
several people that we know that are celebrity pastors that are uh, are rich that uh, don't go crazy with it. Like we know of Rick Warren. Rick uh-huh. Warren is a celebrity pastor for yeah, sure. For sure, makes a lot of money, but not in any unscrupulous way. Drives his same old beat up Ford truck everywhere he goes. He doesn't have a fleet of expensive Bentleys or private jets and all these kind of things that we see from a lot of the televangelists kind of preachers who not only parade those things around, but say that, you know, if Jesus was here, this is what he'd be driving. This is what he'd be flying in, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of equating uh, earthly wealth and earthly treasures with the heavenly ones when the Bible is complete opposite of that. Right. (laughs) Right. I feel that same way about the people from Duck Dynasty. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I don't. I think if we sit here and we really kind of put it out there and and truly start naming people, we actually are going to come up with a lot more celebrity, let's say celebrity Christians, you know, because they don't all hold the, the title of a pastor per se, but celebrity Christians who have not fallen into the ugly yeah. trap. But that, but that is the problem is that you do have to sit there and really think and write a list down. Yeah. Because we can name a dozen, a dozen right off the top yeah, of our head for sure. that have fallen. And that's the problem with celebrity is that there is always going to be a microscope on your life. Yeah. So the the issue though here, especially with Mark, is that I don't think that when they started putting the the sermon videos on the iPod, which, you know, was just getting started. The video iPod was just getting started, just launching. <clears throat> and they were looking for content for it to have ready to go before they launched. Mm-hmm. And they approached several big churches, Mars Hill being one of them, to put their sermons online. Mm. And uh, I don't think when they did that, they thought this is going to make this church huge. This is going to turn Mark into a celebrity. I don't think that was the goal at all. No. And actually, I do remember. Uh, I don't remember if it was the interview that. Um, oh, what is his name? What's the main guy's name? Uh, Mike. Mike. Uh, Mike Coster. Okay. Cosper. 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 Okay. I don't. The, he was doing an interview with someone more of like a one on one throughout this entire series. And I don't know if it was Jesse, the main media guy. I think it was. I think I know where you're going. When he said (coughs) their main thought behind it all was think about how many people we could be reaching. Right. Right. It was a, it was an untapped market as, as if you will, of people that might not ever go to church, Mm -hmm. but are going to have their newest Apple product. Mm -hmm. And this might be the opportunity. It's the same mindset that we had when COVID-19 caused, you know, Easter, that first Easter to be all online for every church in America. How many people who might never attend church on Easter Sunday were watching a service that morning on Facebook or YouTube? Yeah. I mean, absolutely the right mindset going in. So once that celebrity pastor ball starts rolling though the question is is it possible to avoid it once it begins i think that once they rolled that in motion the results were out of their hands like if he was going to be a celebrity pastor 
there'd be no way to stop it at yeah. that point. Yeah. Because once it got to the point where they realized, oh, this is becoming a, this might become a problem, what would they do? Take the videos off? Right. Well, that, I mean, they're going to be everywhere anyway, and then that's just going to cause more controversy. Where'd it go? Yeah. And then it's going to be outcry and bring it back. And there's no, I don't know if there's a way to stop it once it begins. And so the question then has to become, if you find yourself in a situation where you are a celebrity pastor or a celebrity who is openly a Christian, can you handle this biblically? And just like you said, I think it is very possible. I think we've seen quite a few people who do. But if I looked at myself and like five years from now, I wake up and I am some big, famous Christian podcaster. I'm assuming you'd still be with me. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> That's how you became famous. You let, let, let me go. Finally let Mo go and just right. took off. Yeah. You're the anchor holding us down That's this whole right. time. No. You got to keep the name though. I'll do both parts. Yeah. I'll be mad and Mo. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but, look, but seriously, I guess we'll, we'll put that we'll put that to both of us. Okay. If we both woke up five years from now and we're like Joe Rogan level successful in podcast, we're getting Spotify offers and million dollar contracts for a month's worth of content and all this kind of stuff. Is that a possibility? Do you? <laughs> Who knows? Once the ball starts rolling, it's out of our hands. Is that a wheel or a ball? <laughs> Does that count as a wheel or is it the door to success? I don't know. <laughs> Do you trust yourself with that level of both celebrity and like money? Because uh, I don't trust myself. Really? No. Okay. Here's I think the thing. that it would, knowing me and my 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 spiritual aptitude towards addiction and, and yeah. bad habits and stuff, I feel like that would be a corrupting force in my life. That's fair. Um, I'm blaming the fact that we haven't become that then on you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. The Lord is holding us back. Um, that kind of came out wrong. So, <laughs> that's not how I meant it. For good. Yeah, for yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. He's doing it for yeah. good, for our own good. Right. He knows He's better. He's protecting us. That's what he I. He knows better than us. Sheesh. <laughs> um, okay. So. I, too, obviously know myself, and I think that me alone know it would not be good. But that's the beauty of this morning show. There is two of us to hold each other accountable. And, you know, somebody who really flies low on the whole LTN back row um, radar would hold us very accountable. Mm. And it's someone who has been around since the very beginning and someone who we mentioned pretty regularly. Kevin would hold us <laughs> very accountable. Quite possibly. I have zero doubts that he would not call and say, what are y'all thinking? You know, honestly, I came up with my answer thinking about just me. But I think maybe if it was us together, it'd be a little easier. Yeah. Because I feel like I'd have accountability in you. Yeah. Yeah. As well as, you know, Kevin or anybody or everybody, our really, all, yeah, of our, our all of our discord, and, our families, everything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. <clears throat> Me alone, bad idea. Right. Even the accountability of LTN, you know, mm -hmm. and. Well, see, I don't know. 
like I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to be honest with myself about how easy easily corrupted I might be in those situations. And like we've thought about we've even talked about on the show, like if a, if we were to win that big lottery that, you know, came uh-huh. this a couple of years ago, what would like what would we do? Yeah. And, you know, our, you know, I like to think that I'd be very generous with it, that my church would be well funded, that I would pour a lot of that into LTN to help it grow into an even bigger ministry. And at the same time, I'm thinking, yeah, but what else would I be doing with that money? Like, would I be uh, just feeding the food addiction even more and just eating uh, lavishly uh, fattening meals (laughs) for every meal? Would I uh, be pouring it all into myself and just taking a bunch of family vacations and buying all kinds of cars and big houses? I don't think so based on my personality now, mm-hmm. but we have heard it time and time again, that celebrity and money changes people. And, you know, knowing who I was compared to who I am, I am hopeful that my, my faith and my morality and all that I've learned in these last, uh, 13 years or so would, uh, hold me in check but I guess I'm more afraid to find out. That's fair. I yeah. At the same time, I I feel like I can confidently say between your family, your wife and <clears throat> my husband the aspect of having each other to hold each other accountable and then, you know, just the community that surrounds us. Sure. I do think that that's a hedge of protection, Mm -hmm. you know, that's in, in place already (laughs) that I don't think Mark Driscoll had. Sure. Absolutely. And so I guess what we're saying is, Lord, we're ready. Yeah. (laughs) If you're ready, we're ready, God. There are. If you build it. They will come. There are quite a few pastors that have fallen from grace. Um, we've got Ted Haggard, mm-hmm. who uh, was caught uh, 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 soliciting homosexual prostitutes, essentially. Uh, Jim Baker, who we've talked about on the show, who uh, had an enormous fraud scandal that sent him to prison. And then he just came right back and just yeah. started doing the same thing. And he uh-huh. still got TV time and everything. Uh, we've got uh, um, Tony Alamo, who, uh, let's see here. He, he dis- his, his wife died in 1982, and he displayed her embalmed body for months and claimed that she would rise from the dead. And then started catching all kinds of sexual abuse charges to the point where he was sentenced to 175 years in prison. Wow. Uh, And his defense was he was framed by the Vatican. (laughs) Uh, Fred Phelps. Fred Phelps is an interesting one because it was like he almost fell from grace upward. Because Fred Phelps was the founder of Westboro Baptist Church. 
that terrible church that yes. goes yes. and holds the signs at the funerals of soldiers mm-hmm. and all kinds of things that say terrible things. And he got excommunicated from his own church because he started having a change of heart hmm. about his religious beliefs and he didn't like what they were doing anymore. So that was an interesting one. Yeah. So he spent his whole life <coughs> on the the downslope until the last few years of his life. He's like, you know what? This was probably the wrong idea. Yeah. Uh, then we got Dave Reynolds, Doug Phillips, Jimmy Swaggart, Mike Heinz, Robert Tilton, Mark Driscoll's on this list, Josh Duggar. Oh, which is a heartbreaking one too. Uh, Rory Cole. There's there's a whole list of Christians and pastors that have been in the the public eye whose celebrity and fame and amount of money they have has at least aided in their trip to a darker side of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's heartbreaking to see. It's It raises the question of would this have happened had the money and the celebrity not been there? Right. Uh, and then we have quite a few celebrity pastors who aren't doing anything illegal, but are doing things very ins- unscrupulous, or they might not be doing anything illegal, I don't know, <coughs> with uh, televangelists. We have uh, Jesse DePlantis and Kenneth Copeland who are out there, Greflo Dollar, out there spending a bunch of tithe money on the most expensive private jets on earth. Yep. Saying that that's a, that's a necessity in the faith. Um, like there's that, I think we've had this discussion too. I don't know if it's been a full on topic before, but like how rich is, how rich is too rich for a pastor to be like at some point, should you cap how much money you're flaunting when Jesse Duplantis gets up in front of a church and says, I've got 19 chandeliers in my home and each one of them is worth more than your house. Okay. Like at that point, I feel like what you just said is a sin, let alone owning all those. How many houses have you bought for no reason for people in need? Right. Like, why do you, where's the need there? Where's the honoring God with that? Yeah. I'm not saying that you can't have a nice house and you can't have nice cars, but there should be in your soul, some sort of limit to just how lavish you're going to live. Absolutely off the backs of people that don't really have that money to give. And they're giving it to you anyway, because you're a nice silver tongued preacher. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but Jesus is my light. So I don't need 19 (laughs) chandeliers hanging in my house that cost more than my house. Uh, And uh, then we have situations where the pastor celebrity pastor has passed away. And then we have found out terrible things. Mm-hmm. The most recent being Ravi, Ravi Zacharias, who was a big name, big name, well-respected. A lot of people uh, loved the guy. Uh, he didn't seem to be a prosperity gospel preacher, seemed to have the whole thing down. Found out he not only owned a whole chain of massage parlors, but they were the bad kind of massage parlors. The unscrupulous kind, and he would frequent them regularly. 
Mm. And that's just, and I think that's just one of the things that we found out. I mean, these, these kind of things, it's, it's not, I mean, of course it's not just Christians either, but it is Christians that do have this morality and the standard that we're supposed to live by. And thus the fall from grace with Christians hits harder than a fall from anybody else who's not a part of the faith. Right. Because when, you know, when a Jared Fogel from Subway falls, Subway has, you know, a bit of a brand issue, but nobody's assuming everybody at Subway has that kind of problem. Mm-hmm. But when a mainstream celebrity Christian falls, we're all, we all pay the price for it for a while. Mm-hmm. Because we're guilty by association, even though there's four billion of us around a lot, a lot of us, and none of us know each other. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 a difficult difficult road to be on, and one that I don't chase. <laughs> That's a question I don't need answered in this life. Yeah. I'll be perfectly happy making enough money to provide for my family. And if I never get a penny over that, that is okay with me. <laughs> uh, now, the purpose of this list it was not to further bash these for their uh, for their failings, but to show that celebrity can be a dangerous thing. There are plenty of celebrity pastors not on this list, like we said, that openly live lavish luxury lives to the point that it's gross, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're doing anything illegal. However... Jim Baker, like we said, has been back pulling the same scams as before and some new ones too, and he is still flooded with cash every day, still given a bunch of TV time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that question then raises the final question for today. Is this kind of the people's fault? Because especially using Jim Baker as an example. Oh, man. It's clearly documented what he did. And went to jail for, and he does not deny that he did these things. And he has publicly apologized on national television for doing these things. And then he comes back from prison and starts doing the same things. And there's still people giving him money. And at some point, that's you. Mm-hmm. That's your fault. Yeah. It's your fault that Jim Baker is still on TV doing the same scam as before. So I can actually remember, I remember very vividly, I remember very well, the whole Jim Baker mm-hmm. error, era, error, error, error too. <laughs> yeah, era and error. Um, I remember my grandmother and my great grandmother being huge believers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, TBN was constantly on and constantly. I can remember that phone being picked up whenever it was, whether it was Jim Baker or it was anyone else, um, you know, to send in money to call and, and tell us your prayer requests and we'll pray with you. And all you have to do is send us 10 or $20, whatever. And I can remember thinking even back then, like, This is such a scam. This Mm -hmm. is so wrong on so many levels. And yes, there is a level of accountability that those pastors need to be held to. And I can trust that eventually they will one day be held accountable. But at the same time, 
it is our duty as Christians to open up the word and read. Yeah. We cannot just take the word of whoever we feel is a fitting pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to, I can remember very, very early on in, um, even before I was in youth group, having my childhood pastor say, I want you to open your Bibles and turn to, and then whatever scripture he was in. And it was the whole, it felt kind of cultish, honestly, but like <laughs> we all had to hold up our Bibles when we got there, when we actually turned to that scripture. Yeah. And his whole purpose behind that was so that we were opening our word so that we could read word for word verbatim what it said, not what he wanted it to say, not the words that he replaced in, you know, Mm -hmm. in this word or that word. So that if necessary, we could call him out and say, hey, that's not what this says. So I want to stop you, though, before you get any further in that, because we will talk about that issue specifically Mm -hmm. (laughs) coming up. I'm just answering that, yes, it's the people's fault. Absolutely. (laughs) To a degree. And so with that, I want to bring up the recent um, Hillsong documentary. Have you seen any of that yet? I have not. What? I don't think so. It's a, it just recently came out like the last couple weeks. No, and there's three episodes of it. And this Hillsong documentary is, is much in the same vein as the rise and hill, rise and hill, rise and fall of Mars Hill. Okay. Um, just not as in depth, um, but in depth enough. But what we see here is the perfect example now of modern day Christian celebrity pastors, because we see Carl Lentz. Carl Lentz was the celebrity pastor who was always hanging around with Justin Bieber. You know, he was he was the big speaker. He was the big guy. Everybody loved it when he was the one that was visiting the different Hillsong churches everywhere. But he was also the one that you could see out walking in the streets with no shirt on and with his shorts pulled so low down that you see, like, the top of his dangle. And... We're thinking, this is the pastor. This is the pastor that we're following. But everyone's like, okay, he's a little eccentric, a little weird. Well, of course, he's not going to be what he seems. He, he, he very publicly is clearly letting the celebrity go to his head. Right. And we're seeing all these signs, but we're giving him the benefit of the doubt because it's Hillsong. Of course, it's Hillsong. Hillsong is on this pedestal, mainly because of its music. Yeah. And... Turns out, yeah, he's having, you know, affairs behind, you know, the back of him. All these terrible things happening, and uh, he gets fired. Uh, and then even the founder of the church, Brian Houston, gets let go uh, much later on for covering up different, uh, like, sexual abuse scandals and all these things that have been going on or hiding them, uh, even covering up stuff that his own father did in abusing children. And... <clears throat> We see how this small church that was a small church who started making their own music and that's how they became a celebrity church and blew up and spread across the world, how that quickly got out of hand to the point where they weren't trustworthy anymore. Mm -hmm. 
And there comes a level of celebrity with not just the pastor, but with the church as a whole, that you need to start being concerned. And you need to start putting so many more safety guards in place. Mm -hmm. You can't operate like a small church anymore. Right. You have to have a lot more safety measures. And I'm not sure there is any church that large or even approaching that large that can handle that 100%, which makes me wonder, should we cap how big a church can grow? (laughs) I mean, there are plenty of churches in any town that, you know, struggle to have 15 people in it. If a church that is huge can partner with a struggling church to try and grow them, this can spread this out and maybe help not build a celebrity church. It's almost a goal to not, like Mars, Mark Driscoll said, you know, you, you don't want a big church because it means you're not preaching the truth. Right. I don't agree with that, but I agree that you don't want a large church because that's when the bigger issues come in. When you can't be a, a relatively close knit family, when it becomes an issue where you don't see where you're not like close with your own pastor. He's not even someone that you actually interact with more than a couple times a year. Uh-huh. That becomes a dangerous situation. Sure. And so when that's the case, you're going to start feeling like a celebrity anyway. When you get to the point where like I don't have time to talk to all these people. <laughs> that's a dangerous way to be. You yeah. can't be, I mean, how are you the shepherd of this church if you can't even pay attention to your whole flock? Right. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to unpack in that as well, but it, it just does seem to be a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we say, I, I was about to say more often than not, but maybe not just, it is always very visible when it is a disaster. Yes. And that makes it harder mm-hmm. on all of us. Any last, is that all, anything else you want to say in that or uh, you want to save I think, it? Yeah, I think i got to save it. <laughs> all right. Well, with that kind of power celebrity brings, so comes the ability to speak and be believed. So even when you're wrong or even lying, people are going to believe you. Tomorrow, we talk about the need for congregants to do their own research too. Dun, dun, dun. Tomorrow, or we'll be back with more. <laughs> Stick around. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. This week in nerdy news, this is LTNN. Snap is launching a new Snapchat lens that can help you learn American Sign Language, ASL. It's called ASL Alphabet Lens, and Snapchat is launching it in partnership with SignAll, a company that has built technology that can translate sign language. A blog post on Snap's website says, led entirely by deaf and hard of hearing team members here at Snap called the Defenders, the ASL Alphabet Lens teaches you to fingerspell your name, practice the ASL Alphabet, and play games to put new skills to the test. If this sounds like your thing, try it out. 
And if you find yourself enamored, you can bump it up with Signal's Ace ASL app, now available on both iPhone and Android. That was This Week in Nerdy News. I'm Radio Matt, and this is LTNN. Hey everyone, I'm Hector Mirai, and this is Faith and Fandom 180 on LTN Radio. So there are a lot of anime fans that were a little bit disgruntled and frustrated in recent time. Because if you've been following, Attack on Titan has been in its final season for what feels like forever. Like they had a chunk that came out, a break, another chunk that came out, and we knew that the episode that was coming up this recently was going to be what people thought was going to be the last one but if you were remotely familiar with the story uh and you were following the pacing you knew that there was no way that if they ended where they said they were that they were going to cover everything it was like they're just going to leave the story undone so when the final episode aired then we got this little announcement that said uh the third part of the final season is coming out in 2023. So all these people that were expecting the final season of Attack on Titan to air like last week and finish found out that by bad math, the final season is really three small seasons released over the course of like two years. And... You know, some people are grumpy and complaining that it's not fair, but the reality is they're trying to do their best to give us the best quality of this story that they can. And, you know, we don't need to look at a slow response as a frustrating thing. And the same kind of thing is found in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, where it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, if we can understand that people are taking their time to make an anime good, imagine what it's like for God and his patience to actually take the time to make sure that the outcome of this world and the salvation and redemption at hand can be the best that it can possibly be. Imagine God caring about us enough to not only give us his son but to be patient with all the people who stubbornly reject him for years and years on end it can be hard to wait for but it's worth waiting for remember to catch faith and fandom 180 every wednesday morning on the back row morning show only on ltn radio and if you'd like to learn more about faith and fandom head over to faithandfandom.org where you can learn about our comic-con ministry podcasts memes apparel and book series you can even read new chapters before they make it to the next book I'm Hector Mirai, and thank you for spending the last 180 seconds with me. Welcome back to the Back Row. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. There's a lot going on in our Discord, backrowdiscord.com, where you get to chat after the show, share your own show ideas, keep up to date with our Twitch and YouTube, be a part of our radio shows, and also see the behind-the-scenes workings of Back Row games, including Sunday School Answers. Again, go to backrowdiscord.com to join. 
This week we are talking about Mark Driscoll and the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Many of you have likely heard of this Christianity Today podcast. You may have even listened to the whole saga, since even though it wrapped up several weeks ago, it is still holding steady in the top five Christian podcasts. We are not trying to replicate what the rise and fall of Mars Hill created. Instead, we just want to look at the themes and issues brought up by the podcast and focus on those issues a little more broadly. Yesterday, we talked about the dangers of celebrity with pastoring. Today, we're going to talk about how big pastors can misuse scripture. Now, there are some cases in the Mark Driscoll story that showcased him misreading scripture, like Song of Solomon, to say some questionable sexual things. But that will be a part of a future episode next week. But there are also instances where Driscoll has taken scripture that refers to Christianity at large and Jesus's ministry and turned them around to make it appear that his congregants loyalty must put Mars Hill and Mark himself at the top of their lives instead of the church at large and Jesus being in those spots. Mark often referred to himself as the father of the members of Mars Hill when that is not really a biblical distinction. This term is often used in Catholic churches and a few other denominations where parishioners call the pastor father, but that is more of a historical trend, not a biblical one. In fact, Jesus once clarified that we have but one father, Yahweh. But this is certainly not just a Mark Driscoll problem. In fact, this is a very widespread problem among pastors from all denominations. In fact, not just pastors, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, Bible study leaders, and the Bible study curriculum itself. The question before us is, should we trust spiritual leaders with scripture blindly? No. <laughs> That's the answer. So you began to talk about this yesterday, is that you, you, you grew up where people just kind of blindly believed? Um, I'm sorry, re- re- recap what you said yesterday. So... We talked about so much. Yeah, we did talk about so much. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that... My childhood church got really right. Oh, right. Okay. This was the opposite. Uh Uh-huh. Gotcha. Was, I don't want to say forcing us, but encouraging us. There we go. (laughs) Encouraging us to... (laughs) Gunpoint. I mean, I can remember like coming to church without my Bible was the worst case scenario ever. Because I knew that I was going to have to open up my Bible and I was going to have to hold it up. What happens if you didn't? I mean, nothing happened, but you... are just an outsider at that point. Yeah, Everyone you and yourself, you right. I mean, we all looked around and could see everybody holding up their Bible because we're all waiting on that one person who just cannot find Ezekiel, you know? Like, just get there, please. My arm is beginning to hurt. Your act together. Yeah. Um, anyway, so everybody just knew... If you did not have your Bible, if you did not come to church prepared. Um, But it was also one of the things that I loved because it really did engage me into reading the word, opening up the word and knowing at a very young age that there were different translations and that, you know, I really needed to do my research as a believer to know what the Bible actually said yeah, and to not take scripture out of context, to not simply say that, okay, well, this is what this verse in this book says without reading the entirety of, of the story and the, you know, the reasoning behind why we're going to prosper and not 
fail. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so this kind of brings up a very similar question as yesterday is, is, is it kind of our fault for wanting to be spoon fed, but not actually having our own quiet times or doing our own research? <clears throat> like I remember it was a common thing in churches to have like sermon notes mm -hmm. passed out or even recently kind of on apps and stuff. But that's become less and less of a, a, a well, more and more of an afterthought, let's say. Yeah. Most churches, I think, don't even do them. And the ones that do just aren't being utilized. Yeah. We provide sermon notes every Sunday through our app. I don't know of anyone who's used them. Yeah. <laughs> I, have not, I have not seen anybody actually doing it. And so, I mean, that's the one feature of our app no one has commented on from with me. <laughs> so I'm not sure they're being used whatsoever. But 15 years ago, you know, I was, when I first worked at this church, I was printing out sermon notes, like half sheet sermon notes and passing them out. And people were taking them and they were writing them and they would slide them in the back of their Bible with mm -hmm. the intention of looking up these things later. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they ever did that, but at least the intention was there. Yeah. But now I don't even feel like we have that. Like it, 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 we becoming a culture that wants all the work done for us when it comes to scripture and what we believe. And... Is there a way back from that? <laughs> I mean, we, we talk about it all the time in Christian culture of just even just having a, a daily quiet time mm -hmm. is a constant struggle for nearly every believer. Right. And if we can't commit to five minutes of reading the scripture in the morning or before we go to bed, like what hope do we have that we are going to... Uh, ever break out of a spoon feed me pastor mentality. Right. And that is incredibly sad and discouraging and terrifying. Right. All in one. And of course, I'm lumping both of us in that same category. Uh, he ain't lumping me in that <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yes, 100%. Um, <clears throat> I, taking sermon notes, looking up scripture for myself... It's honestly probably something that got to the point where early on it was something that I loved and was very excited about doing. And I know that it grew, it grew me as a Christian woman for sure. Um, but I've also found times where it's kind of become a bit of a prideful thing where I'm almost trying to find flaw <laughs> in what someone is saying, like, go ahead. You say something, yeah. say something wrong or out of line because I got my notes and I got my Bible <laughs> and I'm going to hold you accountable. But can <laughs> I tell you, yeah. I have had this very thought so many times, Matt, just doing what we do. And since doing moments from week to week, writing up moments from week yeah. to week, it is terrifying to me that something that I say knowing and understanding that it, it has a tone of biblical and scripture behind it. Right. But it is also leaning towards something that I've been taught and could very possibly be just an opinion mm. could be leading others astray. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I, 
there are so many times where, you know, as Christians, we like to draw lines in the sand and say that these are black and white. Then there is no gray area and forgetting that gray and grace kind of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. You know, God knows our heart and he doesn't, he doesn't forget to take that into account. Yeah. And I think that that's something that a lot of Christians tend to forget. I want to rephrase that too, because I think the God knows our heart thing gets taken out of context many times. God knows our intentions. Oh yeah. God knows our, our spirit about things. Uh, because, you know, people use that, you know, you don't know, you don't know his heart for like Jesse Duplantis. Mm. <laughs> like, okay, sure. I can't look into his heart and see what God is telling him or what he believes, but I can see the fruit of his actions. And I can tell you they're duplicitous, hence the Duplantis name. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to situations like this, where we, we using the moment as an example, if you're, if you're teaching something that you uh, believe and that you've learned through scripture and that you you wholeheartedly think is correct and right and righteous. Uh, and then you turn out to be wrong. That doesn't like make you a liar. You know, it doesn't make you a, a deceiver. Right. It just makes you, whoops, uh, got that one off. <laughs> it's a little off on that one, which I don't think has happened yet. Um, but I mean, it's about the same thing. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's about the technicalities. Mm -hmm. if, if I tell you a lie, that I think is a lie. And then tomorrow we find out what I said was actually true. Mm -hmm. It doesn't no, mean I didn't lie to you. Yeah. I still yeah. lied to you yeah. because it's the intention behind it. Right. That is the, the sin and the action, not what is uh, possibly the case. Right. You know, out there in the world. And that's a hard concept to grasp when you're really young. Uh, but the more you do that, <laughs> the more you live, the more you live life, uh, the more you realize that it really is all about intention. Mm -hmm. And I know that's also dangerous ground to walk because we can have good intentions and cause a lot of bad problems. But at least when it comes to our intentions with God, he understands uh, we're not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. But if our goal is to honor him, even if we kind of screw it up, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's like, well, forget you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that just means, uh, let's get you set a little straight. I like your energy. <laughs> yeah. And clearly, obviously, God is going to cover everything mm -hmm. in grace as long as we are walking um, faithfully, you know. Yeah. In the, in the path that he's set before us, but, and I'm sure we'll dig into this more next week, but, you know, listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, there were so many people who were spoon fed, mm -hmm. who weren't doing the research, you know, and who really didn't have a relationship with God. They had more of a relationship with Mark yeah. than they had with God. Yeah. Um, that were led astray. And yes, God is going to cover that in grace and God is going to help. I shouldn't say help. God is going to work through these things with them. You know, they will come out on the other side as long as they're still continually continuing to walk in the faith. But 
that doesn't mean that there wasn't a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of confusion prior. Yeah. You know, and on top of that, one person heard this from Mark and then that person goes and tells three of their friends and then those three friends go tell each go tell three friends, you know, and to me, it's just this huge, terrifying domino effect of <laughs> misleading this, is this bad game of telephone. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is something that looms over me on a regular basis. Like this could very well. It, it's not out of the realm of possibilities <laughs> for what could happen. Even if I write and speak everything accurately, it could be misinterpreted. Could still be received mm -hmm. incorrectly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about an example from the Bible here. When the apostle Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel in Thessalonica, the Jews hired thugs and instigated a riot because they were jealous. So the Thessalonica, Thessalonica believers had to get Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica under the cover of darkness. It says in Acts 17, 10, uh, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. However, the Jews in Berea were not like the Jews in Thessalonica because, as I said in Acts 17.11, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And when they saw that these things were so, Acts 17, 12 says, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. The Barians were a bit skeptical and they didn't believe everything they heard. And by the way, that's a good thing. Uh, so that's why the Barians wanted to see if Paul's teaching was true by checking it against the scriptures. And sure enough, they would find Paul was right. <laughs> and knowing the Barians, they wouldn't have been shy about telling Paul that he was wrong had they found that. And that's why many of the Barians trusted in Christ. They examined the scriptures, proved that Paul was right about Christ, and as a result, many were saved. So there is absolutely nothing wrong about checking scripture to make sure something is true or not. If it's not, you're, you've are you got to speak up. You can't be silent. That's a sin of omission. You should be a Barian. Now, I'm not saying jump up on Sunday morning, point the finger at your pastor and say, heresy. You come with, uh, you come with gentleness. You come with respect, but you come with a discussion mindset mm -hmm. and not an accusatory one. Absolutely. Say, look, I was looking into this, and you said this on Sunday, and I was reading this right here, and I just, I'm having a hard time um, reconciling the two. And I was hoping we could have a discussion about it and see where my hangup is, or. Uh, and, you know, come to some sort of conclusion here so I, I, I can fully understand what you were saying and what the scripture says. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a perfectly respectful, and I would dare say your pastor, might, maybe not like openly, but in his heart, will be beaming with pride that a member of his congregation cared enough to want to have this conversation. Even if he turns out to be wrong, he will be grateful for that. If he is a good pastor, <laughs> the, uh, the issue would come when we have a pastor who refuses accountability 
refuses uh-huh. to even allow for that possibility. Definitely does not, uh, you know, agree to meet up with anybody to have a conversation about why he's wrong about a certain thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think that's the mindset that we start to see with Mark Driscoll as the years go on. Yeah. Is uh, a refusal to even have the the implication that he needs that kind of accountability in his ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the lack of accountability as well next week. Um, but it is our, shipping back to the topic here, it is our responsibility to read for ourselves. Uh, not just to make sure the pastor's you know, saying everything right, but to confirm in our own minds what we believe and what we should believe, what Christ has taught us. Yeah. And to grow in our walk. Yeah. You know, the, we cannot, we're called as Christians to be Christ-like, to be a reflection. And we cannot be Christ-like if we're not reading the word. Yeah. It, um, it just doesn't work. You don't get The amount of scripture that you take in in a week should be at least 90% read by you. (laughs) 10% can be from the pastor and maybe the Bible study that you attend. The rest needs to be of your own volition, Mm -hmm. (laughs) of your own gumption. Yeah. Because you are here to grow your relationship with God. You do not come on Sunday mornings for the pastor to try and grow your relationship with God. That's not what church is for. That's not what Sunday morning service is for. For you, for the believer, that is for a time of fellowship and honoring God. Mm-hmm. Your growth is supposed to happen born out of that in home. Mm-hmm. On your own, with a group of people. Whatever the case, but your study should be mostly led by you. And when you have questions, that's when you go to people who know more than you do. That's how we pass down this wisdom and knowledge from from generation to generation, is that when we can't figure out the answer, when we can't figure out what the Bible is saying, then we seek out those answers. We don't just go like, well, I guess I won't know unless it comes up on Sunday. Mm. But I think too many of us, again ourselves included, fall in that mindset too many times, too often, of just like, well, Sunday's enough. We don't say that out loud, but that's what we live. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I hate when I get into that kind of habit. Mm -hmm. Uh, But pastors who say, please don't take my word for it, study this for yourselves, they're not belittling themselves. They're keeping themselves accountable while at the same time encouraging their congregations to be more in the word themselves Mm -hmm. instead of being spoon fed. That's the right mindset for a pastor to have. Yeah. If you walk into a church and you hear the pastor saying something along the lines of you can find this in such and such or in this scripture, it says this, but they don't even offer you an opportunity to turn there you may want to question whether or not you should be attending that church. My favorite ones are pastors that say this scripture says this, but they don't actually read the scripture. Uh, <laughs> they just tell you what it says and yeah. what it means. <clears throat> and that's just, Oh, that's a bad sign. It is. It is. <laughs> and you know, context is important. And that I think is something that a lot of Christians actually learn later in their Christian walk is yeah. how important context and the rest of the Bible is in reference to whatever scripture 
they're reading. Yeah. You know? In fact, they're, they're reading the Bible in and of itself is a, a learning process and a growing process mm-hmm. because there's going to be many things the first, you know, when you're, when you're a new Christian and you're first opening the Bible, many things that you don't understand how this applies to your life today. Many times that you're going to say, I don't even need to read the old Testament. That has nothing to do with me. Mm. Like there's going to be so many things that you think mean one thing, but actually are saying the complete opposite because you don't know how to read it or you don't know how to read it in, you know, quote unquote, 2020 vision, where instead of just taking a verse out of context and reading that, you try and read at least the 20 verses before it and the 20 verses behind it. So you'll see the whole context of where that verse fits in. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many tips and tricks on, on reading the Bible that you kind of have to go out and learn. You can't just expect to fall into your lap because otherwise you're reading it. I won't say incorrectly, but just immaturely. Absolutely. And I, truthfully, I want for all of us to just think of conversations that we've had this past week where had someone walked past you and heard just a snippet of what you said and walked away and, you know, kind of judged you on something that they knew very little about, they're going to get a completely wrong mindset, a completely wrong idea, whether for the better or the worse of you. And what you stand for. And so when we take scripture out of context and we pull just one scripture out of a chapter, you know, within the Bible, without reading all of what it's about, Mm -hmm. all of what it's for, what it was written for originally and how it's applicable to our lives today, that, you know, we're, we're doing the same thing that that stranger does to us when they walk past us and hear us saying something out of character. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and another piece of advice would be if you get to a part, especially we're talking the Old Testament, if you get to a part that seems like, whoa, what the heck's going on there? Mm-hmm. That seems a bit extreme. All these kind of, or, you know, just any kind of issue that takes you out of it for a second. Like, I don't know what's going on here, mm-hmm. but I don't like it. Take that as an opportunity to seek out help interpreting what you're reading, especially within the characteristic of the time that Absolutely. it happened. There are too many people that I know that have read like, you know, you know, God smiting some people or, you know, the flood or, you know, those kind of stories and think, well, that they're either thinking that's not the same God as a New Testament God, or they're thinking that uh, if this is God, I don't want to follow him. But they're also reading this completely out of context and completely out of the time that it was written. It's like... (laughs) It's like people being mad today that somebody used the N-word in a book written in, you know, 1850, you know, something, something far back and, and trying to, to maybe cancel this book <laughs> today because how, how insensitive when this was a common thing back then and mm-hmm. in the times, nobody would have said a word about it, not because it wasn't wrong then, right. but because the culture at the time didn't see it as we see it now, mm-hmm. it didn't have the context around it that we have grown to learn and experience. We, we find the same thing in the way like the, the, the Bible uses the word slave mm-hmm. anytime. Yes. And, and people have brought up the, the verse, 
you know, that, that talks about how a slave must be a good servant to his master. Mm-hmm. And we think slavery is bad. You should not be a good servant to But that's not what that meant back then. Mm-hmm. Back then, the, the term slave, uh, it did mean servitude. It did mean, you know, that this person was being used for, for, you know, labor, but this was a voluntary thing. Mm-hmm. This was something that people volunteered for in order to pay debts that they had. They said, look, I can't pay you back the money. Let me serve you until I work the money off. Mm-hmm. And, and in the same way, those verses say masters should treat their slaves as if they're family. And this was again, because that is not the same, you know, slave term that we think of today. Right. This was, in all accounts, a butler. <laughs> I mean, it was someone who is is essentially being paid or being having their debts paid off for the service. Uh, but when you read those verses out of context and with your 21st century mindset. Mm-hmm. Your first instinct, and probably the right instinct, just based on what we know now, is to go, whoa, something's happening here. Your second instinct should be, I need to dig deeper and figure out what this is. Mm -hmm. And that applies to everything that you read that comes across as, hmm, iffy. Because, again, there's a lot of context spread across hundreds of years with these uh, different scriptures. Mm -hmm. So don't let that stuff turn you off from reading on your own. Realize going into this that it's going to be a learning process, that it's going to be difficult sometimes, and that it's going to require a little bit more effort on your part sometimes. But in the end, you'll realize you're doing the right thing by growing spiritually, growing in your relationship with God, and thus growing closer to God and stronger in your faith. That's why having a community, a fellowship of believers is important. Yep. It's necessary. It's not just important. It is necessary. It is crucial within your own crystal Christian walk, crystal, crystal, Christian walk to uh, have people in your life who you can trust and who will walk alongside you and will remind you, hey, words change. Things yeah. change. Um, you know, ghosting does not mean the same thing today as it, it, it once did. It has a completely different meaning now. Um just the same way, you know, but we take that with like a grain of salt, like, yeah, okay, that means something new now, whatever. But when it comes to the Bible and it comes to God, we want to be a little more defensive and we want to, um, well, I guess take offense a little more easily. And we want to put our guard up and say, oh, but this isn't right. This isn't okay. This isn't how it should be. And I don't want to follow a God who believes these things or says that these things are okay. When... It's important to walk alongside. That's why I feel like Bible studies are crucial. Yeah. You know, to not just have people, friends in your life who, you know, go to your same church and who you hang out with and you have a good time with. But no, take that same group of people and then study together, mm-hmm. you know, and grow. That's the only way that we can grow. So anyway. Whenever I... Uh pray and I just don't feel like God is hearing me. I think I'm being holy ghosted. (laughs) That's all for today's discussion. Tomorrow we will take a look at uh, the nickname that Mark Driscoll earned, the cussing pastor. 
and how vulgarity became the norm at Mars Hill. We'll be back with more. Stick around. Have you ever heard a nerdy word or phrase that you were positive you should know, but you didn't? We've all been there, feeling like our nerd cred is dropping by the second. Well, fear not. LTN is here to help you hold your own in a nerdy conversation. So pull up an ear and pay attention, because we've got a new nerdy definition for you. Today's term is power cookies. You know what? Maybe you haven't heard this term. In fact, it might have been the late 80s since this was in any nerd's common vernacular. But hey, we're here. Let's do it. Power cookies are the large pellets in the game of Pac-Man that powers up Pac-Man to allow him to eat the ghosts that are chasing him. And the idea behind these power cookies actually spawned an economic term called the Pac-Man defense, which is when a company that is about to be acquired instead takes over the hostile company that was attempting to acquire it, thus eating the thing that was chasing it down. So the next time you're cheering on your kid in a game of Pac-Man after you both fell through a rip in time, you can tell him to grab the those power cookies so you can become a ghost muncher because now you understand that reference welcome back to the back row i'm radio matt and i'm mo and matt and i have been doing this for years Quickly approaching our 500th morning show. It'll you, be here before you know it. <laughs> yep. And you can catch roughly the last 150 episodes in the podcast feed, but you can do an even deeper dive into our archives and catch nearly every single episode over in our Discord. Join us at BackRowDiscord.com and visit our podcast archives channel. This week, we are talking about Mark Driscoll and the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Many of you may have likely heard of this Christianity Today podcast. You might have even listened to the whole saga since even though it wrapped up several weeks ago, it's still holding steady in the top five Christian podcasts. And once again, we're not trying to replicate what the rise and fall of Mars Hill has created. Instead, we just want to take a deeper look at the themes and issues brought up by this podcast and focus on those issues a little more broadly. Now, so far this week, we've discussed being inexperienced, being a celebrity, and struggling with scripture. To wrap up week one of our topics inspired by this podcast, we are talking about Mark Driscoll's reputation as the cussing pastor. The nickname was shared in the pages of Blue Like Jazz by Donald Miller, who was at college with Mark. Uh, This is a great book, by the way. This is a side note, though. (laughs) We won't go back into the book for right now. Mark routinely cussed behind the scenes, uh, not just casually, but cursing at people in anger. And now the rumor that he cussed from the pulpit is overblown. There were only a couple instances of this, and when it happened, I believe he was immediately apologetic. (coughs) However, in nearly all of his sermons, he does use language that most people would deem at least inappropriate for the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Typically, these would be things of a sexual nature, too, which will be part of our discussion next week. Still, former Mars Hill elder Kyle uh, Fistenberg has said the reputation Driscoll got for being the cussing pastor simply because he used harsh language from the pulpit was nothing compared to the swearing and abusive language he used daily with staff. When people asked me how I liked working at Mars Hill, I would simply say, it is a great church to attend, but I wouldn't recommend working here. It was well known with the staff that what was preached on Sunday was not lived out Monday morning with the staff. 
Uh, as another wrinkle, Mark was quite vulgar on the church message board under a pseudonym of William Wallace II, attacking the members for wussification <laughs> with a letter swapped out. Mm-hmm. But that's not the again, that's not the word he used, which brings up not only a vulgarity issue, but a problem with deception and even manipulation among his church. So the question is, why were people drawn to Mark Driscoll's style of interaction? Because it didn't it was very clear that he would say vulgar things from the pulpit, inappropriate at least. And yet his numbers kept growing. Why is that the case? I don't know. <laughs> I, I want to compare him to Donald Trump. Mm. I don't know how many of you really remember what it was like back when Trump was even just announcing his candidacy, like it, that he was running for president. But we were in like the first year of this podcast and we talked about it in literally our 11th episode ever. And that was, are we sure that Donald Trump should be the one that the Christians are championing for president? Mm -hmm. Not just with the question of comparing him to Hillary as like the lesser evil or whatnot. I think that was my stance on it. I think that's what all Christians eventually, or not all, but most Christians eventually fell into is like, well... It's going to be one of them. Uh So let's just vote for this one. Yeah. He's closer. But Trump had a cult of person, still does, a cult of personality around him where many people, even many believers, liked the fact that he was brash, bullheaded, kind of vulgar, insulting a lot of people. He, they, we liked the fact that he had a more real tone to how he interacted and that it was almost refreshing to see this in politics. Would you agree that that has essentially been the stance? Yeah. From even Christians? Yeah. Yeah. I think we had the same thing brewing with Mark Driscoll from the pulpit. A large group of Christians who thought the exact same thing that he did, that Christianity had become too wussified and that hearing these these brash and these real and even uh, slightly offensive things from the pulpit had a refreshing quality to it because he's being real with us. Yeah. I, I can agree with that. I think that it was a fine line for a lot of Christians trying to, I guess, figure out if this is what I grew up believing and this is how I grew up believing. And clearly I don't feel in my spirit. Okay. Yeah. With that, then I need to go against everything that that everything that once was. And I think that Mark fit that mm-hmm. fit that bill really well, <laughs> you know, went against everything that every pastor had ever been or looked like prior to him. And, you know, with, I feel like this has been something that's probably been going on for decades, but it feels new. Um, with the church declining, with Christianity declining, and then with, at the time, things that were happening in our country, 
it only seemed right, if you will, to step outside of the normal, to get yeah. uncomfortable, to hear the hard truths, and I'm using air quotes around the word truths, from the pulpit, you know? And for me, this is manipulation at its finest sure. because you take scripture um, and just slightly twist it ever so to where it's not really obvious. Are you making the serpent noises on purpose? <laughs> slightly twist it ever so. Yeah, um, that wasn't purposeful, but I'm glad that I did it. Um, so that it's not super obvious, but does kind of leave you going, well, may maybe that is correct or maybe it's not correct but it that is what the bible says so we're just gonna say that it's correct yeah. we're gonna, you know what i mean and that was that was probably the most dangerous step that mark took in his leading and his shepherding was to just slightly twist those words mm-hmm mm-hmm <laughs> and um, the fact that he would openly share this kind of vulgarity and openly share this attitude mm -hmm. meant that he was behind it. Like it was never presented as, oh, the, my emotions just got the best of me. Mm. Like this, this, he presented, this is who I am. This is how I preach. This is how I feel. And because I am using this, this kind of real tone with you, you should trust me even more. And I mm. think that is a trick that a lot of us fell into, or a lot, well, a lot of believers fell into. <laughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> Pardon me there, goodness gracious. Um, and w we've talked about cussing in the past as to, like, like, is it a sin? Is it always a sin? It, do the Bible verses about, you know, don't let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth actually mean cussing? Or does it mean like how we talk to people and stuff of that nature? I think we both, I don't remember for sure, but I think we both kind of fell in the, the camp that like expressing yourself like real and emotionally and painfully and using a curse word in that expression is not necessarily sinful. But using it towards someone, at someone, raises its level. Mm -hmm. And we've heard throughout this podcast that he would constantly railroad people in very, or in, in no uncertain terms, with the most vulgar, not vulgar, I guess, per se, not like sexually vulgar, but in the most uh, anger-fueled way. Yeah. Often using F-words, D-words, S-words uh, for no other reason than for intimidation and for letting his anger out on people instead of dealing it with a, with a healthy manner. He presents himself as a street brawler. That's what he always says. He grew mm -hmm. up as a street brawler. That, that's, that's just his mentality. He would routinely preach from the pulpit. Not routinely, I guess, but he would often preach from the pulpit his desire to beat people up, his mm -hmm. desire to oh throw people under the bus. Yeah. Uh, Was it Nehemiah? Uh, yeah, yeah, he would scalping some of the <laughs> elders in his own church if he could. He would he would brag about letting people go, yeah. brag about getting them like and firing running them people. over. 
Yeah. On the bus with the bus. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it's, and, and the way that people were let go were when they challenged him and not even in like a unbiblical way. Oftentimes it was just a, Hey, let's double think this. Let's, let's think this through fully before we implement this or before we do this again, or before this comes, this issue comes to light. And because they weren't entirely on Mark's side, he would not only fire them, but then badmouth them. And it was often because it brought up other issues that he had not addressed. There was the one secretary that he had that uh, someone had asked him and asked her in a very casual conversation, is there anything about Mark that you don't like or something along those lines? And she said, it's not that I don't like this, but I think he would benefit greatly from having uh, some more accountability from other pastors, having, having someone in his life to um, help guide him with these you know, leadership decisions, something along those lines. Again, just essentially not bad-mouthing him, just saying he needs somebody that he can you know, confess his struggles and sins to, somebody that he can be held accountable to in a very godly Paul and Timothy kind of manner. Everybody should have somebody to submit to when it comes to spiritual matters and not just be an island of yourself. <laughs> and we will talk about more about um, his lack of accountability next week. But this issue brought out, it, the, the word got back that she had said this. He took it as a malicious and even heretical thing bringing her into his office, angrily yelling that she is accused of heresy by this church. Right. And she was let go. And then she stayed at the church, even after losing the job, until he spoke about it from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And badmouthed her, not by name, but badmouthed her through the situation without taking any kind of responsibility on his end from the pulpit, right. knowing that she's in the room. Yeah. Like, so it's not even just vulgar language, sexual language, but it was the way that he would use his sermons to send a bullet across the room into the forehead of somebody there who he knew was listening. Mm -hmm. Oh, and yeah. That is so gut-wrenching. He was... Without a doubt, bullying people into belief. Yeah. Openly. Oh, in yeah. In front of everybody. Mm -hmm. And anybody who tried to call him on it was just the next victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> my, I think my biggest issue with Mark is that, yes, there was a lot of truth that he preached. There was a lot of accuracy in the things that he said. However, he missed the mark. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> by not doing so in love. Yeah. No, nowhere. As far as I, my research has shown, as far as what um, <laughs> we've been presented on the rise and fall, nowhere was there love. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, there were things that, 
outside of the preaching and outside of the interaction with staff, there were things that people have said he did fantastic with. Like, yes, he, he did right. have a heart for, for women in his church that were struggling with issues mm-hmm. uh, like miscarriages, uh, uh, you know, husbands cheating on them, things of that nature. Like he, he would often very much care for widows and struggling women in the church very genuinely. And none of them would have a bad thing to say about that experience. So, and I will say this is something that I wish would have been touched on a little bit more because to me, the dots don't connect. I, was he showing outward kindness kind of to, and this is all my opinion. Speculation. Yeah. Was he showing outward kindness kind of to, to band-aid the feelings that he was feeling on the inside, knowing to some degree the things that he was saying were slightly inappropriate, were awful and mean and hurtful, um, while at the same time counseling other women in very inappropriate damaging, traumatizing ways. And we will talk about this next week to more of a a conclusionary way. Mm -hmm. I, I personally believe that everything that he did towards women, uh, is what he genuinely thought was the right thing Mm -hmm. to the point where I think he, he truly believed that all women were, subjugative like they were all lesser mm-hmm. and that they had to be taken care of mm-hmm. and they had to be put in their place and they had to be led forcefully by men right and so i think there was even a level of um superiority to him even having that heart to help the women yeah at the time just because of the way that he viewed women through scripture mm-hmm not to say that that wasn't the right thing to do in helping the women and that he shouldn't, you know, be given at least a, a bit of kudos for that. But I, in my personally, again, my own speculation, just connecting the dots with, like you said, mm-hmm. with what else we've heard about how he treated women is I, I genuinely think that it was a, well, she's not going to be able to help herself. Right. Kind of mindset. I have to do this. Yeah. This is my job. I have to. Right. And not in a joyful way, but kind of in a dutiful, like. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, again, the the podcast does go on to just say that there were many women that were very, you know, appreciative of everything that he did. And so I don't want to, I don't want to put that out there. Right. On, on, uh, documented that, sure. you know, he, he didn't have his heart in the right place or anything. It, 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 it is up for speculation and worthy of thinking through, but at the same time, it would be unfair of us to, to put that out there without that disclaimer of, we really couldn't say. Right. Yeah. And there's no reason specifically for us to say that he didn't have his heart in the right place in those instances, but trying to connect the dots, like you said, is hard mm-hmm. to, to Especially make when sense. We didn't hear from any of those women. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't hear from any of those women. Definitely didn't hear from Mark, despite them reaching out multiple times to yeah. talk <coughs> and share their side. But I mean, I don't know if I'd want to either if it was about me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we heard from Mark in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. We just didn't hear from Mark. And so the last thing I want to bring up is, is how much is, is a, a church member or a church staff member expected to put up with? I would think uh, if nothing up to that point had turned you off from this church, 
the William Wallace the second thing. Oh yeah. The the coming into a church family like open to all the congregation message board as a fake person and saying some of the terrible things he said to rile people up. The vulgar, awful, mean, bullying things that this man wrote under this pseudonym, uh, which he would come out and later say that he thought he was doing a good thing and admitting that it was uh, it was wrong of him to do, you know, years later after it all came to light. But still, like it, the fact that you got on there and thought that you were helping your church by stirring the pot in this way with this deception and manipulation, boo, boy, how do you not realize I might be doing something wrong here in that moment? And see, it's those things where <clears throat> there are just some things that you do that any reasonable person would stop and think, maybe this isn't a godly thing. <laughs> would Jesus have done this? Would Jesus have gotten on a message board today as, you know, Phil Craggers and just been like, hey, you guys don't follow Jesus's teaching on this thing. Well, you're a bleepity bleep bleep bleep. I don't think he would. <laughs> See, and for me, it just it solidifies the fact that most of the congregation was manipulated to the point of almost being brainwashed. Yeah. You well, know? it's, again, the cult of personality thing. That's where it comes back in, is that we get to the point where, just like with Trump, just like with Trump, as things went on, there were many times that he just did stupid things as president. And, and those who were in his camp were just like, okay, yeah, that was dumb. But hey, look what's happening. Yeah. It's all good still. Yeah. You know, it's, it, there, were, there were a lot of questionable things. Now, less questionable things than, you know, what the media would spin right. <laughs> for you. But still enough that were real that we should have been like, oh, come on, stop. Just stop it. Yeah. Not the least of which being you should have gotten off Twitter long before you were banned from Twitter. Mm -hmm. Put one person between you and the phone, please. You're making it harder for everybody. <laughs> and that that's something that we really didn't even touch on or say is that we said that, yes, the church was growing. But, you know, we heard from several of the other pastors that were at Mars Hill mm -hmm. And several of the leadership through the the podcast, um, and they said numerous times that the hundreds of baptisms, yeah, 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 you know, that were happening were not manipulated. They were <clears throat> right. The church was so big that it it was more than just Mark. Right. There were quite a few, quite, so many more people who were there genuinely, right. genuinely believing what they were doing, genuinely leading people to Christ, genuinely bringing people into the fold and into a family. There were Bible studies. There were reach group, outreach groups. There were so many ministries going on, most of which were probably largely untouched by Mark Driscoll mm -hmm. himself because the church was so big and so spread out across so many different campuses. Right. And there was even one in Albuquerque here in our state. Yep. And all of those were running relatively fine uh, with no more issues than any other standard church would have. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, the fruit was there 
And I think just like you were implying, that's what led them to believe, okay, well, we're probably wrong then. Yeah. Because why would God be blessing this situation? Right. And this, <laughs> I think, is clearly a situation where God was blessing in spite of Mark. Mark wasn't going to, or God wasn't going to throw out the entirety of what he could do at this church just because of one figurehead. Right. And I'm thankful for that. Right. And I think God can do that on a, a very regular basis. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we he does it see... in parenting yeah. every single day in my home. <laughs> I mean, truthfully. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's it's a good correlation to make. Um, and so, it was easy with this podcast to focus exclusively on Mark Driscoll and see him as a bigger part of this than maybe he really was. Because there were so many other pastors mm -hmm. and so many other campuses that were doing things right, mm -hmm. and that were loving people right, and that people were bringing, being brought into Christ, into the family right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but so, behind the scenes, those pastors were being deeply hurt right, and deeply manipulated. And that's something that I think happens more often than what we realize yeah. within church. Absolutely. I, I pray and we should all pray for our pastors and for our leaders in our churches that their mentality doesn't change from Sunday to Monday, mm -hmm. that the same thing they're preaching on Sunday is the same thing they're living on Monday. And I say that knowing that that is sometimes a struggle, not because you're inherently a bad person or that you have a uh, ulterior motive but because life is life and life is hard sometimes, even for our pastors. Absolutely. I mean, Paul said it. I, I know what's right and I continue to do what's wrong. Yeah. You know, I'm if, come on, if Paul's going to talk do about I do it. This? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why I'm like this. Mm -hmm. This is the, the meme. Why are you like this? Exactly. Staring in the mirror. Uh huh. <laughs> you can do this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so. Of course, with all this, I think the the issue that Mark might have had is that even, uh, I want to believe he was sincere at the beginning. Oh, yeah. I want to believe that he was sincere. I believe he was 100%. That everything that he wanted to do for God, for Christ, for his, his faith and his family and his church was sincere. And I think he eventually stopped listening to God. Stopped listening to the tug on the heart that he got into a routine and a rhythm that felt right to him and he never questioned it. And I think we see that today because he has a brand new church and reports are coming out on a very consistent basis that the same issues that happened at Mars Hill are happening at his new church. The same, we, we just had another article coming out from someone who is now a former staff member who said, Every day, screaming, yelling, cussing in the staff, in the office. Can I just tell you, as I was listening to the rise and fall <clears throat> repeatedly with every episode, every single episode, I thought, man, he needs celebrate recovery. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Goodness, dude. Uh-huh. Get some help. Yeah, please. And, you know, it's not that far from him. I mean... Rick Warren Rick is, Warren, yeah. yeah. That, that's, that sparked out a saddlebag. Uh-huh. Come on, Rick. I feel like, I feel <laughs> Send like. Send a letter to him. I feel like Rick Warren and Mark Driscoll are the opposite sides of a coin. 
Absolutely. Like how how someone is supposed to take a, a church that started from nothing, started in a, a you know a house or a gym or whatever they started in, and grew at a relatively fast rate. Mm-hmm. How you handle that biblically and spiritually and as a leader. Rick has done it right from all we can tell so far. Yes, there you go. Which uh, Mo and I, as being a part of CR and having been to Saddleback quite a few times, at least see maybe a little bit more than most people who haven't had as close of an experience with Rick Warren Mm -hmm. (laughs) compared to Mark and just the constant slog of reports of just things going awfully wrong. Yeah. And we will get into some more of those that are happening even today. Next week, we're going to get into a lot of discussions next week. (coughs) And uh, honestly, we could probably do three or four weeks on this, but that will be a slog on us. (laughs) And mentally break us. So we're going to try and get all the rest into next week's conversations. Uh, so that'll end our discussions brought up by the Rise and Fall of Mars Hills podcast. Uh, we will continue these discussions next week, but we want to know what you think. Uh, what do you think of our discussions? Did we miss an angle? Come share your thoughts in our Discord at backrowdiscord.com in the Respond to Show channel. Message us on any of the socials at the Back Row LTN or leave us a voicemail at 575-562-8052. And that's going to do it for the Back Row Morning Show. We hope you enjoyed our discussions and hope you'll join us again next week. Remember that we air our full morning shows first exclusively on LTN Radio, LTNOnAir.com, every Monday through Thursday at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 a.m. But if you miss a day or just can't catch the show live, you can find our four full shows and our weekly main podcast by searching The Back Row Morning Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the podcast apps. Subscribe, rate five stars, and leave your review. Or don't. We're not your parents. We won't be mad. Just disappointed. Check out lovethynerd.com. It's positively jam-packed with articles, podcasts, and videos that cover a wide range of nerdy topics. And just like any ministry, we are largely supported by those willing to partner with us financially. As one of the newest staff members of LTN and a part-time nerd culture missionary, I am looking to build my support team to help this radio station grow, to help my family financially as I pour more focus into all I get to do for LTN. For more information, visit lovethynerd.com slash radiomat or just reach out to me directly. Love Thy Nerd is a qualifying 501c3 nonprofit organization and your gift is tax deductible. And make sure you're following us on all the socials. We're on the book, the twit the gram and the talk just search for at the back row ltn and connect with us once again i'm radio matt and i'm mo and if nobody else tells you we promise that it's true jesus Jesus loves loves you nerd. nerd